All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 161 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. Today on the program, uh, former NHLer, he's now the uh, host of a new show that will be debuting tomorrow. Jay Rosa will uh, join us. Uh, he's got some uh, interesting stories of playing in the uh, NHL, obviously uh, lots in the American League and you know, certain coaches that I think are uh, going to get people's attention for sure. Um, we also have NHL hockey. We did have two games on the weekend, San Jose and uh, Nashville. Nashville winning both. And uh, now uh, two tonight, Tampa and New York and Vegas and L.A. And Frank, a, a story to start on in Tampa and, and New York tonight because, you know, Tampa, there's, there's a few things about them. They're one of the teams that only has 21-man roster, but... Ian Cole has been suspended with pay for Tampa as there's a, you know, allegation that came out on, on social media. It went viral and, you know, there, there hasn't been an investigation yet or anything, but uh, Tampa Bay seems to be taking a proactive approach and uh, has suspended him with pay. What, what do you make of this case? It's, it's very different. I can't recall seeing anything like this before. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of unprecedented in the way that it's reached the public sphere. Um, a person anonymously creating an account on social media um, and basically sending out a, a detailed tweet with the allegations. And then it goes viral. And now Ian Cole is suspended. We don't have any other details other than that. The lightning saying that they're taking something like this very seriously. Uh, the suspension with pay is what allows the NHLPA to be on board as this un investigation unfolds. The NHL saying that they're looking into it, cold denying, uh, completely denying in a statement uh, the allegations and saying he looks forward to clearing his name. The only thing that's even kind of close to this was basically how things started with unraveling for Jake Vertanen and the Canucks. And the big difference was that was toward the end of the season. Um, and the Canucks were well out of it. And, and, and that, you know, that's how that happened in this case, you know, that also started with um, an anonymous allegation that was posted on a 
Survivor's website uh, that then got picked up by the media. And and like Ian Cole, Jake Vertanen was suspended with pay while that unfolded. He, of course, went to court, went through the process and was found not guilty, which does not mean innocent, uh, just means not guilty. And in this case, who knows where this is going to go with Ian Cole. This is sort of uh, otherwise new ground. We, we don't we don't know anything about this person that's made the allegation and don't know anything to its veracity. So um, it's kind of, it's eye opening in the sense that this is 2022 and this is where we are. Yeah. So definitely be a story to watch um, to see it. So now, and Tampa Bay starts the season with the 21 man roster and uh, suspended with pay. So I'm pretty sure he still counts against the cap. There, there's four teams, Tampa, well, Toronto has a 20-man roster, right? I believe he's not going to count against the cap. Not going to count against FYI. Him. But okay. that's still, I mean, look, he, he was counted on to be a big part of their defense as the sort of 50 cents on the dollar replacement for Ryan McDonough. Yeah, yeah, they have a 20-man roster. So, yeah, he can count. Also, they'd be playing short all the time. Them and Toronto have a 20-man roster right now, and Minnesota and Edmonton have 21. And it's the interesting thing about it, just to clarify for those who, who are curious, if they have an injury in a game, and if it's one injury like Tampa or Toronto, the next game they'd have to play a player short before they could use an emergency recall, right? Uh, Edmonton and Minnesota, if they had two injuries in, in a game, they'd have to play a a man short and then be allowed to have uh, the one recall. So uh, there is a penalty for it if you can't ice a, a healthy lineup. If someone gets injured and you're only carrying 20 or 21, you do have to wait at least one game where you'd play with 19 skaters. You need to demonstrate that you have an emergency. You have to show that the emergency exists before you can get the recall, but there's all kinds of nuance to it too. Like if the injury is severe enough, you could put that player on LTIR and then get the relief immediately. So there's a lot that goes into it, but you saw the jockeying on Monday as rosters were due at 5 PM Eastern. You saw a lot of teams getting as close to the salary cap as possible with their LTIR space and trying to find a perfect capture. The Vancouver Canucks are the first team we believe in the salary cap era, according to cap friendly that hit it exactly on the button and will not have any leftover LTIR space, which is pretty hard to do given all the numbers that are in play. So kind of amazing that that's how that worked. They got all 3.5 million of Michael Furlan's LTIR space. Yeah. And, and there's lots of other teams that are close because if you start the season in LTIR, whatever your salary cap totals of your healthy players, if it's below 82.5, well, that's what your cap hit is. So like Edmonton, for instance, is $165 below. So they don't get that extra. So their cap hit is technically. Yeah. It's use or lose by the yeah. first day of the season. That's the best way to explain it. If you don't get a good capture from the start, you never get that money back. So that's why teams work as hard as they can to get close to that number. And that sometimes it means being creative, like Tampa uh, signed a player um, Labrie to a contract that uh, is a two way deal that basically was exactly designed to get them very close. And they put him on their opening day roster um, as a 35 year old with performance bonuses um, at a very specific AAV because they wanted to get close to it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen that all over. Uh, you look at um, the uh, Aston Reese contract in Toronto, same thing gets them uh, almost to, to the, uh, to the I think they're within $4 of it. Yeah. So uh, teams are figuring out more for sure. And uh, you know, when the cap goes up in, in a few years, you know, may, maybe they won't have to worry about it as much, but definitely there are some teams that are very much uh teetering on the brink uh, when it comes to the salary cap. And if they get any nagging injuries, as you pointed out, Frank, long-term serious ones, that's fine. They go in LTI and you just call someone up. But if you all of a sudden get a stretch where you have two or three guys get nicked up for a week or so, that's when uh, they could be in a little bit of issues. And now, the other thing to keep an eye on too, for teams like Toronto with Aston re-signing, they're at 50 contracts now. So if they want to make something happen, they're going to need to shed a contract or it's contract in contract out. So you see some guys that were sent down to the AHL. Obviously they're still working on a solution to try and find a new home for someone like Wayne Simmons. It's actually important for them to have some contract breathing room and space. The golden Knights are the other team at exactly the 50 contract limit. Yeah. So now we mentioned Tampa Bay, New York, uh, Vegas, and LA. And then tomorrow there's more games. We get into the season. Uh, we're, we're kind of previewed out. We've previewed a lot of it. It's a, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the one other story though, Frank, that uh, took another uh, twist. I don't think it's a major surprise, 
But uh, Andrea Skinner has stepped down. She was the uh, chair of the board for uh, Hockey Canada, said it's uh, not worth it anymore, the the blowback for, for volunteering. And, um, you know, that's one step where, where I think Hockey Canada is going to have significant change. They're going to need significant change. There's just, there's not a lot of people uh, that trust the people going forward to make the right decisions. And I think Skinner, when she made the comment that, well, I'm not sure if the lights would stay on if, if we let go of some people. Yeah, Canadians are suddenly going to stop playing hockey because of you. Yeah, like that, that, that was not an overly informed statement because uh, you look at it, the, the associations for, for people who don't know in our U.S. listeners, like you have like Alberta hockey, you have Quebec hockey, everybody has their own provincial one, and then you have your own association as well. Hockey Canada does get $3 of, from every registration fee, but you know you think about that overall, and that, that might total across the country about just over $2 million dollars. Even that's not a huge portion of where all their funds come. Where they're getting crushed is they're losing their big sponsors who are paying $2 million a year. I mean, look, another development on Tuesday, Bauer stepping forward and saying they're no longer going to be providing Hockey Canada with equipment. They're not going to be their equipment provider anymore. That's a big, I mean, these are, it's one by one by one. It's been death by a thousand cuts for Hockey Canada, mostly because they can't get out of their own way. That's really the truth of it is Andrea Skinner the comments that she made about the lights being on speaks to the arrogance of hockey Canada, that they think that people play hockey because of hockey Canada. No kids and families play hockey, the lifeblood of the sport because they love the game. They don't care who's running it or what the governing body does or doesn't do. Get out of, get out of the way, get out of the way. Hockey Canada really only benefits the top elite players of, you know, the U 17, U 18, U 20 teams you know, the men's and women. And guess what? They're arrogant there too. Yep. They oh. think they're better than everyone because they've won a lot. Well, they're pretty good. They, they are, but it's the arrogance reeks. There's something to be, you know, it's, it's weird because Canada as a country and, and Canadian people by nature, I find having spent so much time there in my life that it's, they have humility, they're humble people. And for, you know, the way they go about it at the national level too, they reek of arrogance. I think some people do. Yeah. I've never really got that from the players. Like they obviously believe they can win, but the players. No, it's, it's purely leadership. I'm not saying players at all, purely leadership. Yeah. So they're, uh, I still think that story is, is not going away anytime soon. And there'll be, uh, there'll be more changes uh, for sure. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk uh, a little bit. Or Tyler Remchuk. I don't even know what I just said there. It's early in the morning. And uh, he comes in for another edition of Fill in the Blanks. Ty, how you doing? I am uh, doing fantastic. What about as fantastic as a Jays fan can be doing after a tough weekend? Oof. But uh, yeah, yeah. That was yikes. That was, we had a hockey practice. When, when I went into the dressing room, it was 8 to 1. And uh, when I came out, there's a big screen in the lobby at the arena. And uh, there's some dads sitting out there watching. And as I'm stepping closer, I see the one guy's face. And I'm just like, geez, what's... And it was right at the time, right after the big uh, Springer and Bichette collision. And I look at the TV and I'm like, it's 9-9. I'm like, what happened? And and he was a diehard Jays fan. He's just distraught. And I was like, oof, that was a tough, tough loss. Well, it's it's the worst loss in in MLB history, giving up a seven-run lead late for a home team. Yep, I'm aware of I, all that. I, I was talking, I was texting Tyler as as all this was happening, and I was maybe the drunkest I've been in the last five years. I was at a wedding, and Tyler, and Tyler was just in one as well with the Jays collapse. Yeah, I was uh, watching the game with some buddies, and we had our fantasy, our yearly fantasy hockey draft right before, so we were enjoying the beers, and then the Jays were up eight one, so the beers were going down real smooth, and we're making our plans about where we're going to watch Game Three and who's going to start for the Jays, and. Yeah, not good. Kiss um, of death. But what is good is the fact that I drowned my sorrows in a little bit of DoorDash. So shout out to our friends at DoorDash. Promo code GAMEDAY25 gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Let's jump into things here. A little fill in the blank for you, starting with this one. Blank will have a breakout season. Frank? Are we allowed to include rookies? Yeah, sure. I'll let you include rookies. It's kind of cheap, but I'll count it. Owen Power. Okay. I don't think he's got nearly enough love. That guy, I think, is going to be an absolute beast. You know, he's sort of the forgotten number one overall pick because he didn't play in the NHL last year until the very end after leaving Michigan. Um, Game changer. And to have two number one overall picks on the blue line for the Buffalo Sabres, they're ticking up. All right. 
Jay? Um, I'm going to go Alex Newhook in uh, in Colorado. I, I like think that. There's there's huge opportunities there. You get the benefit of you're going to be playing with some skilled players. You know what? Uh, somebody's got to replace the points they lost from Barakovsky and uh, from Kadri. And I think I think Alex Newhook's going to get himself a, a lot of offensive opportunities. All right. Uh, you guys were talking about sort of the roster crunch we saw over the last week. The player you were most surprised that went unclaimed on waivers was blank. Or maybe the player you're surprised was on waivers to begin with. I'll count that too. Jay? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think people in their own cities, a lot of times, fans, media, they'll, they'll overrate the play that they, oh, geez, hey, he's going to get claimed for sure. And it doesn't happen. Um, like Connor Ingram, that was the easiest guy that I thought would get claimed. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that he got put on waivers. I'm a little surprised that Nashville even signed Lankin in to expose because once they signed him, that means he was going to be exposed to waivers. And you know, uh, Arizona, did you watch him at the end of last season? Yeah, Connor, he was pretty good in the playoffs. I, I don't. I, he looked to me like a guy who was very, very nervous. Yeah, well, it might have been nervous, but his. You talk to the goalie guys, and they think he's trending. But Valimaki's the one guy too. Like Arizona just picked up two potentially really good players for nothing, basically for sucking, is is what happens about it. But so there was no surprise to me um, as far as a name. Uh, I'm curious to see if either of Samorikov or Cliston uh, that trade two guys who got put on waivers, two guys basically the same cat hip one-way deals. They went to organizations. Edmonton had a boatload of left depth defensemen. St. Louis had a lot of centers. Can either one of them get traction in their new organization? There's a lot to unpack there, by the way. Um, Be really curious. We talked about Val Mackey last week and the idea that he might go on waivers. And I was saying, I just don't know what he has left. That knee injury changed him. Maybe the, the coyotes can dig, you know, get it out of him again. I just, I don't know that he's ever going to get back. Um, for me, I, it, it, he didn't get a lot of name recognition, but like uh, Josh Mahura was claimed. And then there was another guy from LA, Jacob Muvarar. And I'm going to just throw this out there now. Keep an eye on the Kings and their defense as the season goes on. They have too many defensemen. They're yes. going to need to trade someone. And Jacob Muvarar, um, you know, he was a fourth round pick, but he's a pretty talented guy. And I, I was surprised that no one was able to, or interested in, in grabbing him. He played a quarter season last year, 19 games for the Kings. I think you could do a lot worse than taking a chance on him. Fair enough. Josh Mahura, St. Albert product as well. So I always need to give that plug when his name comes up uh, to wrap things up the season. It feels like the season's officially starting tonight. I know there were those Europe games, but I don't know. I don't really count those. Uh, so I'll ask you guys this question as we get ready. The off season edition you think will have the biggest impact on their new team is blank. Frank. Hmm. There's a lot to pick from here. There is. I would say Matthew Kachuk. He might be the one facing, is it fair to say he's facing the most pressure as well? Maybe. I don't know that it, like, I just don't think Matthew Kachuk gives a flying F about pressure. <laughs> that's, like, that's I, I don't think he's ever felt it. I don't think he, it's never factored into anything that he's ever done. Um I just think he's the the straw that stirs any team's drink. And now in Florida with that type of talent and capability, I love that he just put an immediate bullseye. I used to hate the Oilers. Now I hate the lightning. Like sign me up with that guy. Fair. Jay. I think Brent Burns in Carolina is going to have a huge impact on that team. I think him and Slavin are going to be a dynamite defense pairing. And um, he he adds so much. What what he his ability to get pucks on net from the blue line is the best in the NHL by significant margin. Um, he he's a real upbeat. Attitude. I believe I told you that. And I think that uh, going from San Jose, where they haven't had much success the last few years, getting into Carolina, where they're in win now, like it's cup or bust. We had uh, Rod Brindamore on the on the pod talking about it. So uh, I, I like Brent Burns. I think he's going to be a huge addition. And I know they were good already. I just think he's going to make them even better. I'm going to go with Johnny Goudreau. I think if he f- keeps up his level of production and the Blue Jackets have 
you know, if him and line A click even, that could be a top line that does some serious damage. Could be a lot of overs in Columbus this season. Uh, speaking of overs and unders, our friends at Points Bet Canada, they have some player over-unders for the upcoming season. So if you want to get in on those, I think you have until tonight when, you know, again, the regular season kind of begins. But I'm going to give you guys three that I found that I think are locks to be overs. You let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, the first one is Kirill Kaprizov whose over-under is set at 92.5 for points, obviously. Frank, over-under, Kapra's off 92.5 points. Well, I picked him to win the heart, so it would be weird if I said under. Uh, I'm going to go with over. My one question is, obviously, there's been a lot of changes there. Can, you know, Kevin Fiala, he's gone. He's, uh, as I've done this archetype project rankings, like, he's one of the best passers in the league. Um Ryan Hartman, can he do again what he did last year? There's there are questions in Minnesota, but I I will say over. Yeah, what's that? Sixteen fewer points than than what he had last year. That's still a pretty pretty significant jump down. I I would probably have to lean over that as well. But the big thing always is is injuries. Like you yep. look at certain guys to go ninety two points in full seasons year after year, it's not that common. So I. I, I get why the line's there. I would still probably go over. Now that he's all signed up, I feel confident in this one. Jason Robertson over under 35 and a half goals this season. Jason? It's a good one. Man, he didn't really have much of a camp. I, I'm i actually going to go under. Okay. That I think he's fair. still a 30-goal guy, but I, I'm going to go under. Frank? I would probably lean toward under as well. I wouldn't touch this bet, but that's that's what I, if you put a gun to my head, that's what I would say. All right, and uh, the last one I got for you, you already mentioned him, Frank. Matt Kachuk, his over-under is set at 32.5 goals. Over-under, Frank. Over. Over. Jay? You've got Barkov feeding you the puck Yeah. at some points. Like, I don't know. He, well, he scored, what is it, did you say 32? So he's, he's done that twice. Um he had 40 what last year? 41? 42. But like that 42. was a, you know, that was like a utopian year for that line. Like all yeah. three guys score 40 goals. That's just so rare. Um, I also don't think Gaudreau gets to 100 points again. Yeah, that's fair too. Well, I'll say like Kachuk's point totals. He's not getting 104 points, but I could, I'll, he'll get over 32 goals. I don't think he'll get 100 points. Fair enough. All right. Well, shout out to our friends at Points Bet Canada. If you like any of those lines and you're a Canadian sports better in Ontario, you can go check out Points Bet. Also, shout out to our friends at DoorDash. That promo code again, GameDay25. And that is going to be a wrap on another edition of Fill in the Blank. I didn't have the balls to say it as an answer, but I was thinking player for acquisition that might have the biggest impact on his team. I've really thought long and hard about saying Ilya Samsonov. Ooh. You think he's going to be the starter by the end of the year, or be I do. during the year? Okay. I think he's also going to be the Leafs' long-term starter. Yeah, well, I can see that for sure. Um, well, Murray's getting the opening night start, which isn't a surprise to me. But uh, where it goes from there? Um, now it's only one weekend, Frank. But early returns, Nino Niederreiter. Uh, Preds fans are loving him with uh, three goals in his first two games. Obviously, he's not going to score at that rate, but you know what? Uh, uh, I wonder what he can do in Nashville with maybe a little bit more opportunity than he, than he's had in, in other places. So uh, they definitely could use him. They need, uh, you know, last year, like Duchesne and, and Yossi and those guys had unreal years. I think it might be hard to match 96 points and 86 points. So they'll need someone else to, to step up. And if he gets, I like Ryan McDonough. Points. Like, I, I think that's a huge acquisition too for the Preds. I have the Preds back in the playoffs. And yes, I know there's a lot of things that need to happen in terms of guys repeating some of their efforts, but I just think Ryan McDonough takes a lot of heat off that defense core that at times is so caught going the other way with Yossi that, you know, I don't know that I love the term on McDonough's deal, but for one, like one, two years, like why not sign me up? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think he definitely for the first few years of the deal, uh, no issues whatsoever. Let's get to our uh, guest today on the pod, Frank, and uh, will people be able to uh, listen and watch him officially starting tomorrow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Our next guest played in 117 NHL games. He is the pride of Olds, Alberta. And he racked up 352 penalty minutes in those 117 games and many, many more in the AHL. The DFO rundown is pleased to welcome Jay Rosehill to the program. Jay, how you doing? Frank, what's up, buddy? Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Uh, really glad to have you and uh, and glad to have you part of the Nation Network family. Your new show with Nick Alberga, Leafs Morning Take, launches on The Leafs Nation uh, this week. And can't wait to have you join the dark side uh, on media. What uh, what have you been up to since you stopped playing? Yeah, just uh, I started firefighting right after I uh, right after I stopped playing, and it just was kind of a seamless transition. I think that the uh, the timing just worked out well. So I moved back to Olds, which I kind of always spent my summers at, and uh, yeah, I got a little tired of hauling the family around the world and packing bags and this and that and renting houses and switching twice a year. So I uh, decided to shut her down and and get into the fire department service, and I've been doing that. I guess uh, I guess I'm in my fourth year of doing that. So um, yeah, time flies, but uh, having a fun, having a fun time for sure. So Jay, let's, um, you know, you get into the media, so uh, you're on the smart side of things now. That's always good. But yeah, that's um, what I hear. You had, uh, you know, you played for the Grizzlies, kind of, you know, your hometown, and you you've gone back there. Take me back to, you know, a young kid, and and you know, like when you're a young kid in Olds, like playing for the Grizzlies is like the first step. And I know in small towns. Playing for the junior A team for some kids, that's the the bigger dream than even the NHL as youngsters. Yeah, I mean, growing up watching the Grizzlies and, you know, they won the Centennial Cup there, I think, in 94. And I remember that. It was kind of an overtime win, like, right in front of us. And barn was packed and everything. So the Grizzlies were always there. And, you know, as I started playing more more intense hockey and playing midget AAA and that kind of thing, um, you know, I got listed with Seattle when I was 16. And... I wasn't ready to leave olds. I wasn't ready to to go school uh, down in the States to leave my friends, my family, uh, that small town. And I was not interested in that at all. Had I been listed by Red Deer, Calgary or something, things might've been different, but um, I decided that I wasn't ready to go down and, and play and leave home. So I, I played for the Grizzlies and my brother was playing for the team already and uh, just hometown. I could stay and finish high school there and live at home. And it was kind of a, a dream come true to go and play for the Grizzlies with my brother and not have to leave home to, to keep pursuing my dream, I guess. Were you always a physical player? Like you had 200 PIMS right away. So the answer I think is, is pretty obvious, but like how'd that personality come by or was that just something you realized, Hey, you know what, if, if I'm going to play, I have to play that way. No, I liked playing that way. Like, honestly, I think it was the Rock'em Sock'em videos that we got every Christmas, me and <laughs> my dad and my brother would watch those. And, and we just love, love the big hits and all the intensity and, you know, growing up watching that, uh, that Red Wings avalanche rivalry. And just, uh, we just loved that part of the game. And then, so when you started playing hit hockey, I mean, everyone in town, like we'd get more excited for the biggest hit of the game than the, than the nicest goal. And for whatever reason, that's just the way it was. And I liked playing that way. And I was a bigger kid. And once I got my legs under me and kind of grew into my body, I guess I, I just took onto that, but, um, you know, playing junior, you know, would scrap when I had to, we had a tough team. A lot of guys would fight and, you know, I never had a crazy amount of, of fights, but 
you know, lots of intense play and you'd rack up some penalty minutes and not shy away from anything. And uh, it's just the way I like playing the game and the way I thought it should be played and the way I had the most fun playing it, I guess. And so, Jace, that brings you to Minnesota Duluth. How did you decide on that path and, and, and why? Um, I kind of felt like I was a late bloomer. I started to kind of come out of my shell, like maybe at 16 kind of thing and start to take another step where I could skate quite well and, and start to, to keep up to that higher level hockey and realize that, you know, I always was focused on getting to the next level every single time I got to a new one. And that started to come to fruition around that time. And I saw different guys around the town in the area that went say to the dub and, you know, did things didn't work out. And then all of a sudden they're, they're done with hockey. Like, like, that they were, they were a star one one year and two years later they're they're done playing and I thought I wanted to give myself the most time possible to to get to the NHL and I knew that if I went the college route I could stay at home and play for the Grizzlies and I could still have those extra four years to develop and get better and, and make sure that I gave myself a chance to get good enough to try and play in the NHL and um, I didn't end up staying there all that long but um, you know Scott Sandlin was was the coach and he still is today and has had tons of success and it's a wicked program so I think I learned a lot in that in that first year and, and was ready to kind of step in and, and play pro after that. So you mentioned the NHL. When when do you think was that always a goal? When do you think you first realized it may be a real possibility? Um, it was always a goal. I remember like telling someone, I don't know, a teacher or something that that's what I wanted to do, just the token answer when you're that age at a uh in a small town. But um and think she just laughed at me and said, yeah, but seriously, like, what do you actually want to do? And I was like, Ooh, that, that kind of stings. So I kept it to myself and was just hell bent on making it and probably, you know, no reason to believe I would, uh, I, like I said, I didn't really stand out until like, you know, at 15, 16 ages starting to be a, a guy that stood out a little bit. Cause growing up, I, I wasn't a standout or anything. I was an athlete with everything I kind of did, but you wouldn't have pegged me to, to make it to the NHL. And I just kept that to myself and put my head down and, and just worked and tried to get better all the time. And every time I, I made a new step to another level, I just focused on what was the next level and what are those guys doing? So, um, something I always wanted to do, something I was kind of hell bent on doing. And I just think that no matter what it took, I was willing to do it. And I think, you know, by switching positions from defense to forward and starting to fight heavies and stuff, which I didn't really envision myself doing, I just, you know, did what I had to do to make it, I guess, at the end of the day. Jay, am I a really good guy to have on the pod right now because it's a real stressful time for a lot of guys at the NHL level because, of course, you know, uh, the, the the deadline for rosters is, is Monday at 3 o'clock. And, you know, there's already been some veteran guys or some players that, that thought they'd have a chance to make the team get sent down. C- can you take us through maybe the mindset of, of the bubble guys in that final four or five days of camp and, and really how stressful it is and, and how hard it is not to let the disappointment of, of getting sent down impact you when you get to the American league. Yeah, definitely. Like I've, I've been a bubble guy, you know, and I've, I've had to fight and, and scratch to stay in the NHL when I was there. And um, I remember pretty much every single time I, I got called up and that feeling. And every time that I got called into the office and got sent down and then that feeling, and you go from, kind of the lowest guy in the totem pole in the big league. And and then you go back down and then you're kind of got to switch your mindset to a leadership role and, and maybe a veteran role or whatever the case may be, depending on where you get sent down. But um, it's tough. And this time of year, you know, you like to think you have a pretty good idea of where you fit, but you know, every camp there's like spots that's up for grabs. Um, There's, there's roles that need to be filled and you're not sure who's going to do it. And you just, you just do your best to try and make that. And I think when I, when I cracked the Leafs, um, you know, I knew what they were looking for and I did my best to give it to them. And, and luckily was able to crack that team out of training camp. And that was really nice because my first NHL game didn't have to be a call up, which I saw tons of guys do go from the American league. And it's like, Oh, we're on the road. You don't have anything with you, but a dirty suit. Cause you've been on the road for a week and you got to get on a plane and you're playing tomorrow in Madison square garden. It's like just this whirlwind of intensity where, you know, if you make it at a camp, you get to get camp to ease into it. I think I played like five or six exhibition games and then, so their first game in the NHL was kind of just, you just were already in the routine. It was kind of nice that way. So it's tough though. Mentally, it's a roller coaster. I remember having like family visit when I got sent down or my girlfriend at the time was coming to visit and I got called up and, you know, luckily in Toronto, that doesn't, that doesn't really affect you, but um, you know, things change quick and you got to be able to adapt and you can't, you can't sulk and you can't bitch or, or that you'll be left behind. Was there a time when, you know, you, you got cut and you were like, man, I really thought I deserved to be here. 
Right. And, and how did that conversation, like when they cut you, do you just accept it or did you ever ask, say like, why? Yeah. Like when I got cut from Philadelphia that last time, um, you know, I was on a two year one-way contract. I played the full year, the year before. Um, I'm certainly not playing every game, but you know, the flyers always keep a guy like me and I should have seen the writing on the wall because I think from that previous season throughout the summer and in training camp, I think there's like 13 guys that it might've just been in the East or it could have been the whole league, but maybe just the East 13 guys that would be considered my type of role. Um, that just like a chain reaction, they all went down, um, down to the minors. They either got sent down cut or they didn't get re-signed. And looking back, I was like, you know, I went into Hextall's room and he told me that, you know, they're going to send me down and they got to, they got to make some changes and, you know, to stay ready because they don't think it's going to be permanent, but they just can't justify keeping me right now. And, I was devastated and kind of blindsided because, you know, I thought my contract kind of said I was going to be on the roster at least, even if it wasn't every game that I was playing and, you know, it hurt and you had to go down and my wife stayed in Philadelphia and in my apartment and I was down in Lehigh in a, in a hotel room. Um, we had a new, we had a new uh, one-year-old boy and it's just, it was really tough. And looking back, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of guys that were in the league that, that didn't. And I was just one of them. And, you know, Hexy held on as long as he could, but at the end of the day, couldn't justify keeping me anymore. So just the way the league went at that particular time. And, you know, you could say if I was five years older, maybe I played five more years in the league, but if I was five years younger, maybe I wouldn't have got a sniff at all just because of that role that I, I happened to play changed so drastically so quick. Jay in Philly was where I first uh, got to meet you and know you uh, always remembered you as someone extremely personable and, and a good storyteller. Uh, so wanted to get a little story time with Jay Rosehill, a guy that 41 NHL fights on your resume. Uh, you had 33 in one AHL season, which is a bananas number. Um, what was it like going through that year in the AHL? And you had also mentioned uh, to ping you about a story. You got Dennis Bonvie's last career fight. Tell us that story. Yeah. 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 Like that league, it was, um, or that, uh, that year it was, I switched to forward. And as soon as I switched to forward, you start four checking like crazy and, and you're getting in front of the goalie and, and fights just start coming your way and I would oblige them. And and then once you start doing that and handling yourself, then the big boys start coming and all of a sudden you have a name for yourself. Then all of a sudden you're the first guy they go to when, when someone wants something like that. And I just couldn't bring myself to say no and shy away. So I just would always say yes and go at it. And, and then all of a sudden you got this, this role and you got this reputation so it kind of happened fast. It certainly wasn't planned, but it just, it was what it was. And, you know, I'd be, I remember I fought three times in one game and just the way it happened, you know, I blew a guy up with his head down and had to fight someone. Then someone else grabbed me coming to the penalty box. Then the guy I hit in the first place comes at me in the third period. And all of a sudden, that's three and you're out. And I remember my dad calling me after going, what the hell is going on down there? And I just like, I don't know, dad, it's crazy. But yeah, it was a, it was a whirlwind year. And Towards the end of the year, we were playing in Wilkes-Barre and uh, Dennis Bonvie's last season was there and he played there forever. He's pretty much the, like the mayor of the town if he wanted to be. And I remember skating around before the game. It was like, it was like a WWE Monday Night Raw or something with all the signs that were held up. Bonvie this, Bonvie that, we love you, we miss you, don't leave. And just tons of signs, tons of people, tons of jerseys. And I was like, geez, this is really Bonvie's last, uh, last hurrah here because he made such an impression. And games going on. I never thought about fighting him. You know, he was slowing down a little bit, but still like was plenty, plenty tough. I always was. And I was just like, you know, he'll probably just want to play his last game and, and wave to the fans and whatever. And then all of a sudden in front of the net, there's a guy like digging on our, uh, on our goalie. And I kind of came from the side, didn't realize it was Dennis and gave him a couple shots to kind of the back of the net. And he, he popped up and we're nose to nose and it's Bonvi. And I was like, Oh boy. And we're both kind of looking at each other hesitantly and neither of us really knew what to do. And he was like, no, he didn't say anything. And I said, well, it's, it's your big night. It's your big night. You tell me, you tell me. And then all of a sudden our shit just falls off and we're going out a little bit and we were kind of wrestling around a bit. And then he got free and chucked a couple. So then I got free and chucked a couple. And then we just ended up kind of holding on to each other and the lineys came in and he was in my ear. And I remember him going, you're my last one, kid. You're my last one. <laughs> and I was like, hell of a career, Bond's hell of a career. And then he like, I thought he could have put my hand up or I put his hand up or something. The crowd's going absolutely wild. And he went to chuck his helmet to the linesman and 
he wasn't paying attention. So he just chucked on the ice and then just started skating around, giving, giving the waves to the crowd. And there's like a little hiatus in the game for him to skate around. And I just went to the penalty box. It was hilarious. But uh, I would see him afterwards. He was a scout for different teams and we'd always have a BS about that. And he's like, oh, that was a good way to do it and everything. So he was a pretty awesome guy, stand up guy and tons of respect from everyone that played against him. Yeah, Jay. So most people remember you as a Toronto Maple Leaf and you mentioned um, the idea or of making the team out of camp and how that helped you kind of adjust and really interested to get your, your Leafs insight and analysis as the year goes on, on Leafs morning take, but wanted to ask you really just what it was like to be a Leaf, um, how you were treated. What was it like to play? Uh, I guess it was Brian Burke that had signed you and then to play for Ron Wilson. And also uh, I guess you were around for the Randy Carlisle days. Yeah. Like I didn't have anything to compare it to at the time because it was the first team I played for. But, you know, after playing with another organization, which is also a top notch organization in Philly, but, um, you know, there's just something about that Maple Leafs team and the organization and that city. Um, it's just kind of a hub and they have such a strong, passionate following and they're so desperate to win that you can feel that all the time. You know, the media is all right there as you know, and, and they're following every little thing that happens and they're scrutinizing every detail and it can become kind of overwhelming in that sense. Being part of that organization, all that spotlight and all that attention. There's, there's tons of positive things that, that come with it too. Just the way you're treated, you know, your facilities, everything's top notch. There's nothing you could be left without. So um, pretty wicked, pretty wicked experience to be, to be part of that organization. And uh, I don't really think there's anything like it. You could say maybe Montreal is that way with the passionate fans, but it's kind of isolated to Quebec more so there where the Leafs, I think have, have a broader following and a broader audience, especially through Canada. And, I remember playing overseas and you'd see Maple Leaf hats and, and jackets and stuff like that. So um, it's a pretty special organization and I know they're dying for a win and I wish I could have been there when they, when they did something like that. But uh, you know, it was wild and, you know, played with Ron for Ron Wilson there for a while there. And then Carlisle came in and I mean, he's only there for what the last 18 games of the season. Yeah. Something like that. I remember it was like, great. Right, it was between Dallas Eakins who was coaching the Marlies having tons of success and then Carlisle and, I think Berkey just went with a more established Carlisle and, uh, and he knew him and had success with him in Anaheim, obviously. So he just went with a safer choice, but there were guys in the locker room who were like, I'm asking for a trade. I'm not playing for this guy. And I was like, wow, like that's how we're starting off this guy coming in the room. It, it's a tough way to start. And I, I just, I don't think he was the right choice, obviously, but you know, he was kind of, I remember the first, first, well, for, personally, the first time I even saw him, we were playing in, uh, in Washington, I'm getting ready to, to play I'm supposed to play and after I warm up and everything I take a hot shower and then put my undergear on and then go put my equipment on so I'm toweling off and he comes into the the change room and he's like hey Rosie I want to talk to you outside and I was like okay do you want me to come now or and he's like no get your stuff on get your stuff on and meet me in the hall I was like okay so I threw on t-shirt shorts shoes no socks or nothing quickly came out there and he's holding onto the door to the tunnel that goes to the bench and then he goes nice of you to fucking join me and I was like what I probably took 25 seconds and then as I'm getting close to him, he walks away and closes the door in my face. So I'm like, okay. So open the door, go out to the bench. He starts talking about the half wall and how I have to be reliable there. I can't turn it over there. Um, you know, I got to eat the puck or get it to my centerman or get it to the support, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I want you to be able to trust me there. And I want to be able to be strong on that. And that'll be my area, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, you're not playing tonight and walks away. <laughs> so that was like my intro to Randy Carlisle. I was like, Oh, this is great. Like, this is going to be fun. I can tell. But uh, then the next day we're at practice and we'd flown home from, I guess it might've been Washington and we were practicing the next day and he bagged the hell out of us. Cause we were out of shape. Apparently he thought so big bagger that day. And we're all stretching around the, around the center center circle there. And he comes to this face off dot and he's pulling something out of his track jacket and he's got this piece of paper. And I'd remembered he came back to the back of the plane for some reason and talked to the flight attendants and then left. thought that was kind of weird. They don't usually do that. He pulls out this list and he starts listing off two bottles of captain Morgan's 37 Bud lights, four bottles of red wine and starts listing off all this booze. He's like, this is what you guys drank on the flight home last night or whatever night. I think we had a day off the next day or we wouldn't have been drinking too much, but we're like, okay. He's like, that's it for booze on the plane. So we're like, okay, Randy, like, sounds good. 
And then the next time we were on the plane, everyone's putting their duffel bag up on top of the cargo area and it's going clink, clank, clink, clank. Everyone stop. Like we're grown men. If we want a bottle of wine or a glass of wine after a game, we're going to get it. So uh, he just kind of came in with an iron fist. And I was always pissed off because Dallas Eakins was such a player's coach, such a leader and guys just wanted to go through a wall for him. And I, I thought he was this close to getting that job. And I would have loved to see what happened if he actually had uh, had the helm there because I think it would have been a better fit for sure. Yeah, I don't. It's never a great way to come in like that, and you know, some guys love coaches and some don't. But if if you're saying you have veterans that before he even comes in the room, they want to ask for trades, and then your first impression with them, maybe it's not surprising that it didn't go well. But who was a coach, Jay, that you felt? Lots of players will always tell me, man, you need a coach who's in your corner, and if he's in your corner, you got a chance. Who are the coaches that you felt were in your corner and gave you the opportunity mm-hmm. to have, you know, a pro career that lasted a decade? Yeah, easily Dallas Eakins for me, you know, um, that was kind of the first time I had a guy in my corner, a guy that like gave trust in me and said, you know, you can play this game. And, you know, it's the first time I wasn't squeezing the hell out of my stick. And, you know, it's up to me to, to not be influenced by outside people and coaches and, and adversity. But, you know, when you do have a guy like that, no matter who you are, it, it frees you up a lot. And, um, I just found guys wanted to play for him so badly and, and he understood when to crack the whip and when to give us a day off and he'd get our input on what's going on, uh, throughout the locker room, throughout the team, what we see on the ice. And we really felt like a team and we wanted to win for him. And if we had a tough game or something wasn't there and, and he was pissed, we were, we were just as mad because like we're letting each other down and we all felt like we were part of a team. Um, so like, you know, when, like when I got to Toronto, I see, you know, Tim Hunter is the, the assistant coach and, you know, he played a role similar to me. Uh, I spent lots of time in Calgary. I'm an Alberta boy. I figure this will be a great, a great fit, but you know, he couldn't give me the time of day. You know, he would, I remember we were playing San Jose one time. He was the assistant coach of that team. And there's a guy on that team named Brad Stobitz. He's a tough kid. And I'd ran into him a bunch in the minors and tough kid, no doubt, but by no means out of my league or anything like that. I was, I was fighting heavies all the time. And um, he looks down and he's like, Rosie, that 52, he's tough. He throws hard. Might want to stay away. And I'm like, yeah, I know who he is, Tim. I've fought him before. And he's like, you have? How'd that go? And I'm like, you're my coach. Like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to make me better. Like, why is that your attitude? And it's yeah, just, it was just constantly... Me. It's just that old school mentality of like, let me just, I don't know what it is. I don't know why the, that's what I love about hockey and the, and the change in the culture right now is, is these coaches are starting to understand that. Like you look at John Cooper, the success he's had, like he's kind of that Dallas Eakins guy. They, I think they went against each other in the Calder cup final there too. And they kind of came up together. And, um, I think Cooper was just in a better position, but, uh, you know, guys want to play for them. And I don't understand the generation before where, those coaches had to scream themselves red and break sticks and yell at everyone and be a complete asshole in order for the players to, to respond. Like what was wrong with that generation before you needed that? Like you were out of shape, you're, you're hung over at games or practices. Like you needed to scream at those guys all the time. Like Tim Hunter would just look down his nose at us and go, you guys in your red bull, you need a red bull to get up for the game in this league. That's embarrassing. And I'm like, I'm just thinking, Hunter, you guys were smoking cigarettes in the intermission and wearing leather skates you hardly had to break stride in. It's a little different game this year trying to keep up to, you know, look at Connor McDavid and Kale McCarr and these guys. You got to, it takes a lot to get up for that. And he just, just had this arrogance about him that was just not helpful. And I'm like, your job is to make us better. Your job is to help me be as good as you can for this team. And the stuff he would do is just, it was just crazy. And I just, a sour taste in my mouth. And then after growing up and, and being a grown man and having my kids and I coach teams now, and I just look back and I just can't believe that, that those guys were hired to do things like that. And, and that's how they handled it. It was just so counterproductive. And it's like, it's hard enough to stay in this league and to play at this level without, you know, having the opposite of support from a guy that's supposed to be in your corner. So that's the kind of stuff that was hard to deal with and frustrating, but you had absolutely no control over it. And it's just too bad that their your future is in their hands a lot of the time. But it's nice to see these new coaches come up and they're more players coaches and they can crack the whip and they can lose it and everything else that needs to be done. But these guys are pros these days. They're in shape. They, they've done their homework. They watch video. They have on ice guys and off ice guys and they know what's going on. They don't need to be screamed at like it's 
like the stone age, you know? So it's good to see these guys um, start to handle players a little better this day and age. Jay, I wanted to ask you about your, I was told from a confidential source to ask you about your rookie party in Vancouver when you were paying and what you thought would be a good idea to do with your ribeye steak. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think one of the steaks went for a ride over the balcony at this Gotham steakhouse, which is a pretty, pretty fancy spot. And there's all these hoity toity people down at the bottom eating their fancy steak and things kind of got out of control. And I think I underhand tossed a ribeye and Matt Lombardi, like jumped up like an outfielder and grabbed it from going down to the concourse level, which was probably a good thing or we probably would have been escorted out of there, but, um, yeah, it's a tough night. That rookie party, you, you get a pretty big ding on your credit card and, and they just get you to the point where you don't remember a whole lot. I I do remember trying to find my way home and there was a girl walking on the same road as me and I was going, Hey, Hey, like trying to get her attention. And she just started running away. And I remember running after her going, I'm not going to hurt you. I just need directions. And that's kind of a blackout from the rest of the time. But um, yeah, that's kind of everyone's rookie party experience. I think for the most part. And true or false, did you once pay your pilot to get you home in time to make it to the bar? And how much fuel was burned in on that flight home? <laughs> oh, I didn't pay the pilot, but I think it was, um, I don't know where we're coming home from. Like it was early on, maybe, um, he was Atlanta or somewhere on the East coast there. And we'd had a really good, like three game stretch up the East coast and we'd won, I think we won all three or something like that. And the boys were pretty fired up and we had a couple days off and, we want green light. Home. Yeah. Green light in a big way. So, but just the timing wise, we probably wouldn't get home in time for, for, you know, be able to go downtown and then hit the places before they close. So our team service guy, he had a lot of cash that's for like per diem and whatnot. And, and he went up, up, uh, up to the cockpit where Murdoch, our pilot was always up there and he always have the same pilot and he's a pretty good guy. And he goes in there and he's there for a minute or two. And then the door closes, he sits down and you just hear the turbine spool up and all of a sudden we're ripping and we got home, I think 45 minutes earlier than we were supposed to. And who knows how much fuel they dumped. But, uh, I remember asking that team service guy, I'm like, you give him a whack of cash to get us home early. And he goes, man, we're the Yankees of hockey. We'll do whatever we want. And I was like, holy, that's cocky, but it's also pretty awesome because that's kind of those little things with the organization that they're just, they've just got a lot of pull and they're kind of a big deal in a lot of places they go and they can get stuff done. And it's, it's just cool to be a part of. And, you know, a little old me sitting in the back of the plane from Olds, Alberta is just kind of along for the ride. It was pretty cool. Lots of fun memories uh, like that for sure. And obviously I'm sure we had a good night out with the boys that, uh, that night once we made her. Jay, we always like to end our interviews with uh, rapid fire. The uh, only rule, you have to answer the question. All right, we'll start. Uh, as a as a kid from Olds, Alberta, it's pretty close in the middle. Were you an Oiler, Flame, Oilers or Flames fan or someone else? Flames fan, for sure. Who was your favorite player growing up? Theron Fleury was my favorite player. I remember my first, uh, my first game I've ever went to was... Uh, in the saddle dome and I went down to the glass for a warm up and flurry had no helmet on and his hair was slicked back. And I don't know how old I was, but I was like, I all, I want to do that so bad as first chance I get to play, to do warm up with no helmet on is like the coolest thing in the world. I thought, and then my first game in the American league, I did it. And some of the older guys were like, I cannot believe a rookie just wore no bucket and warm up. But I was like, I always wanted to boys. So that was kind of a thing I liked about uh, playing pro. So did you always go no bucket in the NHL warm up? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, it was fun. It's cool. It's just like, like, why would you? It's ridiculous. And I, are they even allowed to do it anymore? Oh, yeah. Vet, well, lots of the veteran guys do, but some uh, teams have banned it. it. Yeah, yeah, some teams not, banned. I remember, not, remember what's his name got stepped on, his head got cut open. And I think a bunch of guys shut it down from there, which is kind of crap because I, for the kids and the fans and stuff to see those guys coming out there, it's just weird to see those guys zipping it around and pucks are flying and they got no helmet on. It's kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's also awesome at the same time. Yeah, I was Taylor Hall when Corey Potter tried to jump over him and cut his face off. So that's that right. That's that, right. That wasn't ideal. What was your welcome to the NHL moment? Um, well, that whole first week, like my first game, my dad flew in on like the red eye and, and was able to play once or was able to be there once I found out kind of late that I was playing for sure. So he's like, I was like, ah, watch it on TV. It's better anyway. And I kind of didn't really know what was gonna, what was gonna happen. And then I woke up on game day and he's like, I'm here. 
So that was pretty cool. Um, he got this really cool picture of me. I didn't know where he was standing or anything. I didn't even see him before the game, but uh, I'm coming off and hitting the kids' hands and whatnot in the tunnel. And I, I look up just at the people and he happened to be at the top of the tunnel and snapped this really cool picture of me. It's, you know, it's my first game. And uh, that was special that he got to be there. We went out for a beer after and we're able to talk about it. It was kind of a special moment. And I, I showed him all around the dressing room and everything, obviously. And then later that week, I scored my first goal um, on Marc-Andre Fleury and they were the the cup champions. So that was kind of like that whole week was like, this is all happening. It was pretty wild and, and pretty special. I'll, uh, I'm pretty lucky to have done it and remember it forever for sure. Who is the one guy that you looked forward to fighting? It seems fighters, there's always one guy like, ah, this will be a good one. I liked him. Who was your, your go-to guy? Uh, I'd say Sean Thornton. I probably fought quite a bit. He was, he was a stand-up guy. And like, um, I remember one time we needed one, like we had just blown a two goal lead or something like that. And we were deflated and the barn was quiet and everything was, was going poorly. And I, I lined up beside him and he had his eyebrows all zipped up from the night or two before. And, and I was like, Thornton, I need one. I need one, man. Come on. And he's like, Rosie, my eye, my eye. And I was like, and I think I can't remember what side it was on, but I was like, I'll go the other hand. I'll go the other hand. Cause um, I was like, I won't blow your eye up or whatever. So he's like, he's like, all right, all right. So then we, we had a scrap and I think a stitch did blow open and he's, he's like, Jesus. And I was like, thanks buddy. But then, um, the next time I think he needed one too. And it wasn't a great time for me, but I obliged him just out of respect because, um, you know, he's a guy that's garnered a lot of respect and, you know, we usually had pretty good bouts. And one time I was running around, I think I hit McQuaid in the corner and then Campbell on the half wall. And I was running around like a maniac hitting guys. So I was completely out of breath into my shift and he couldn't just watch me doing that for a second time in a row. So he grabbed me and he kind of pulled me in tight. And I'm like, Oh God, like he could tell I was toast. And he's like, he's like, get your breath, get your breath. And he like gave me a second to get my breath. And I took a deep breath and then got locked in. I was like, okay. And then we went at it hard and it's just little things like that. And he'd pat me on the head after and he, I know he, he texted me. I said something nice to him about him in the media when he was in some hot water for giving a guy a glove jab or something stupid. And, and he kind of called, uh, texted me to say thanks for that. And he's like, if you're ever in Boston, let me know what you want to do. I'll set you up and everything, just a class act all the way around. So I never minded, uh, going up against him. It always went, uh, always went pretty well as far as, uh, our camaraderie for each other. Was there anyone you truly disliked and looked forward to fighting? Um, I just say you're never really like that mad at guys. Um, there was guys like Joel Recklich and some of these guys more in the minors where they're just maniacs. Like they're like a dog just frothing at the mouth and they just <laughs> want to fight so bad. And they're screaming and warm up and banging the door in between the dressing rooms. And you're like, what is this guy? Like, who is he? And you just, you just want to pound those guys. Cause they're just idiots. And usually they, they won't follow any sort of like respectful code. They'll do the cheapest stuff in the world just to get a leg up and, you know, not everyone, you know, is deserving of, you know, everyone's respect and guys find out who those guys are and, and go a little extra hard. I think when they're against them and really try to make sure they don't lose to those guys, I think. What it was, so what's in the, in the fighter code, what's like a cheap or disrespectful thing to do? Um, I think like, I never liked throwing after the fight's over you know yeah. those cheap shots at the end when the lineys are in and one guy's hands are tied up and the other guys aren't and then all of a sudden this fist comes out in this little hole somewhere and you know you bite your tongue or you get split your lip open and it's like what are you doing that kind of thing for and you know there's guys that would eye gouge when you go down um guys that would hit the back of your head like i think i got about 15 zippers right here because i got punched in the back of the head after a fight into the ice and it was in Pittsburgh and my whole eyelid was hanging over my eye and I looked up at the Jumbotron. It's just going like this and their fans went bananas. <laughs> just stuff like that. If it's just kind of a cheap shot here, you know, you don't love to see that. But in the heat of the moment, that game, it, anything can happen. And But when it's repetitive, you kind of figure out who the guys that don't care are. And then most of the guys are, are pretty cool about it because you're all from the same types of places. You all came up the same way and you're all doing the same job. Guys are pretty awesome out there. So Jay, uh, when you'd score goals, your teammates get fired up. When guys that aren't goal scorers score, it really livens up the bench. Who is the one guy that fought once that you didn't expect that you're like, okay, this gets us fired up? Ah, <laughs> uh, good question. Maybe like a, a Tyler Bozak or something like that, where you know afterwards he's like, he's like, what do we need you for? He joke around with you or something. And <laughs> the guy that does not like to fight, and he'll be the first one to admit that. But if a guy gets trapped and has to get in one like that. Uh, 
it's always awesome to see you and you're kind of waiting with bated breath going, come on, get through this, get through this. And you're thinking, do this, do that. And why are you holding on with that hand? Throw, throw and whatever you're saying. But the whole boys are all waiting, kind of concerned to make sure the guy gets through because he's, he's, uh, doesn't do that very often. And obviously you need him for other things, but, uh, it's always fun when a guy, guy steps up and he's not used to doing that. How many goals is Matthews going to score this year? Oh, 60 last year and he missed what 10 games. It's hard not to think he's going to be better if he stays healthy. I think 64, 64. All right. And will the Leafs win a playoff round this year? A hundred percent. I'm betting on it. Ooh, I like it. Jay, we look forward to having you in the, uh, in the daily face off family. Uh, thanks for joining us in the rundown. Right on. I'm excited guys. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Yep, you can catch Jay Rosehill and Nick Alberga on Leafs Morning Take Monday through Friday, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern on YouTube, as well as The Leafs Nation. And uh, thanks a lot to Jay for joining us. They start on Wednesday, October 12th. So tune in for that just ahead of the Leafs season opener. Well, Jay Rosehill, not afraid to tell you his opinion on uh, some coaches and other things, which is uh, what you want for a, for a podcast host. So uh, look forward to the new show tomorrow. Good storyteller, and I really enjoyed his uh, his coach's voices that he had. <laughs> he really gets into it uh, as he's explaining it. So uh, looking forward to having Jay Rosehill part of the family. And, uh, yes, lots of success at the Leafs Nation as he adds some media to his uh, portfolio as he joins the dark side. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, you know, it's great. NHL hockey, uh, we had it unofficially on uh, Friday and Saturday. Hey, those games matter for Nashville and San Jose because they're points in the standings. Uh, I will say, did you see the NHL's website? <laughs> has Nashville one, and then it has San Jose 32nd <laughs> because uh, that's it. There are only two teams listed. I thought it was quite oh, fair in the standings. And uh, Quickly, what do you think of the Sharks' all teal uniforms? Teal like helmets, teal pants. I, I like the dark blue one, the white one. It's real. I, I didn't like the white one on TV at all. I found it was hard to pick up the number. Hmm. I don't like the teal. They all teal. I think you need to mix in a little black, but that's just me. Yeah, a little black. That could work. Sartorial like advice from this guy. Mix in some black. It makes no, you no look skinnier. No question about it. The, uh, the teal, the, the, well, it's not blue, but it's teal is, is quite a bit. But I actually like that one better. The white, for some reason, when I was watching the game, it didn't, uh, I don't know, just... I didn't like the numbers for whatever reason. They didn't, uh, I found them a little bit hard to pick up. So uh, we'll see how that. We'll see uh, some Jersey unveils in the next few days as well. Maybe a few captaincies, lots of teams entering the year with vacant captains. Where do you come on it? Like I'm old school. I think teams should have a captain. I think it's uh, you know, you could, and not like captain means he's the only leader on the team, but I think it's important to have a captain for me. I just think if your team's hot garbage and you know that there's going to be a lot of roster turnover, like have it be someone that's going to be there for a while. Yeah, that's fair. Like the the Kraken, I know they weren't expecting to be that bad last year, but giving it to Mark Giordano at that age, like it was like, this is your first captain. He should be there for the next seven years or five years or whatever it is. And you yeah, can't predict that. It was someone like that. Like that, it just, I felt like they, they fumbled the ball early. Yeah, that's fair. Frank, have yourself a good week. We'll have lots of games to discuss on Friday. Finally. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.